Thank you. It's a privilege and a joy for my wife to be here these few, next few days, believing that God's going to stir and do something within our hearts. I believe we're living in a day that we've never lived before. Things are changing drastically. If there ever was a time that we need to get a hold of God, it's today. There is no political solution to a religious problem. Our problem in our country right now is not political, it's spiritual. God designed that the church to be raised up to have influence. We are not here to serenade ourselves. Neither are we here just to go through a little comfort place where we just kind of feel that's okay. We're here to make a difference. God is stirring the church. He's going to agitate us. He will prod you. He will provoke you. He will get down deep inside because I believe like never before that we need to see a move of the Spirit of God. I did not come these three days just to fill a slot. I did not come because I don't have any other place to preach. I got more places to preach than probably I can handle. But I came because I have a cry in my heart for what we call the Maritimes, this part of Canada. I believe that God wants to do something for many years. This part of the nation has been called the have-not provinces. We might, not, we might be have-not when it comes to materialism, to the things that the rest of the nation has, but I believe that these provinces can lead the nation in a mighty move of the Spirit of God. I believe this is our moment and our time to rise up. So I've come, if you're 190 today, I've come to stir and shake your bones. If you're young, I've come to do something in you that you'll get on the wagon with us and believe that we can make a difference. Amen? And so I want you to open your heart. You're probably looking at me, who is this guy? But I'm looking back at you and saying, who are you? Let's get rid of all that and say we're here because we want God to do something in our midst. Amen? Is that okay with everybody? And I believe that God will give you exactly what you desire if you open your heart and let him come in. So we're honored to be here. I'd like to encourage you to come out tonight. Listen very carefully. This is not my sermon. This is getting this for free. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, Paul was writing as we believe that Paul was the writer to the Hebrews. He was writing because the church at that particular time was under great stress from the Roman Empire. There was ridicule, there was, uh, there was persecution. Many of them were losing their lives. Things were out of control. And why Paul was concerned about the Hebrews was not because they were going, wanted to walk back into the world. His concern was they wanted to leave the dynamic of a power of the name Jesus and the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit to go back and be religious. Because when they had Jesus in, 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 in a little measure and kind of just talked about the Spirit, the persecution, the agitation wasn't as great, but nothing was being impacted. And so their heart's desire is we do not want to go back into the world, but let us just become religious. My fear today that we have the same thing that the enemy is trying to do in the church. We don't want to leave the church. Let's let it become religious and comfortable. And in the midst of that, Paul wrote these words in the 10th chapter of Hebrews, verse 25. He said, very carefully, he said, how much more we need to assemble ourselves together as we see the day of the Lord approaching. The day of the Lord talked about there is the return of the Lord. How much more? Now, you might get mad at me saying this, but I'm going to say it. We're living in a day in Canada that we assemble less in the house of God and with one another than we ever did before. 
We will not survive on a Sunday morning experience. The pressures are increasing. The things that our forefathers came to this country to build that we would have a liberty and freedom are slowly and gradually being taken away from us. We sit in Tim Hortons and the coffee shops and we complain about what is taking place instead of rising up as the church with a spirit within us that no matter what, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Are you with me? And so I'm asking you tonight, that if you've never been a Sunday night attender, not because I'm here, but because you believe that God wants to do something in your church and in the city of Moncton and in New Brunswick and in the nation of Canada, that we're gathering together that God can renew something in our hearts. God also said in the Old Testament, when he formed what we know as the people of Israel, he said, when I take you into the land, I want you three times of the year to gather together in Jerusalem. Three times. Where in mass they had to come. Number one, that they would remind themselves that God was still in control. And number two, that they'd be in one accord for what God wanted to do through them. Three times. Your pastor has called us together. Your pastor has called us together. He's called us together because he recognizes without the presence of God, without as your theme is, come on, get your fill. We will go on and be religious and not change anything, but we have been called to be world changers to make a difference. So I'm putting in a little plug tonight because I feel there's something in my heart I want to talk to you about tonight and then Monday night. You know, the, we, we grew up in the church for many years. Don't do anything on Monday night. It's Blue Monday and whatever. I just refuse to accept that. When we feel it's Blue Monday, I believe it's the greatest time God can move. Sometimes I've had the greatest services on Monday night than I've ever had. Because it just lets the world know we might think it's kind of a gloomy, doomy time, but God can walk in the midst and do something great. Amen? And so we're believing for that on Monday night as well. So I just want to encourage you. And after you hear me speak tonight, I hope it prods something in your spirit of how important the time is that we're living in right now. Would you stand with me for a moment, please? Would you stand? Every time I move into a brand new year, I take the latter part of the month of December and ask the Lord, God, what do you want to say? Because the new year is one of those moments when we're more sensitive to hear what God wants to say. Most of us are willing to hear God when we're in crisis. When a crisis comes, we, God gets our attention. Or we've had a supernatural divine encounter with God like Paul had, or Saul became Paul, where you get knocked off your horse. I'm telling you, you will listen. But the other time, that we're more ready to listen at the beginning of a brand new year because we've built into our psyche and our, and our culture that the new year is a time to start something new. More commercials on TV concerning going to the gym, going to diet, start in the month of January. Why do they do that? Because they know in the month of January you're willing to listen. I've got to get rid of these 25 pounds. I've got to get in shape, whatever. Now, a lot of people start never end, but they know the beginning of the year. That is why God put in my heart that the beginning of the year is a time because we're more open. Not because God doesn't speak all the time, but at the time, we're more open to hear. As we moved into 2016, God put something in my heart. I try and do everywhere I go because I believe it's important. God said, tell the people to stand. And before you speak, don't do it right now, but I'll, to put your hand upon your heart. Can I ask you a question this morning? Did you bring your heart with you when you came to God's house today? Did you bring your heart? See, how this started with me, I watched a man, it's kind of comical, in our church. I was looking out my office window when I was pastoring, and 
he got out of the car, he took out his wallet, took out a $5 bill, put his wallet back and locked it in the glove compartment to come into church. I'm standing watching this. He didn't see me. And the amazing thing was I knew because we were trying to teach our people at that time that God loves a cheerful giver. God loves us to, to, to be, be givers, right? And I recognized what he was doing, that no matter if God moved, no matter what stirred, he left his heart in the glove compartment. I only got is this $5 bill. That's all I can give. But I wonder if we do it spiritually. We come to church and we don't bring our hearts. God cannot change anything in you unless you bring your heart. Many times we leave our hearts at home. I'm not here to fill your mind with information. I'm here that God will touch your heart today that we can make a difference. So at the beginning of the year, Lord, the Lord said to me very clearly, Ted, I want you every time you start to have the people stand and place their hand in your heart, which I'm asking you to do today. And as I pray with your hand on your heart, that you'll say, Lord, I open my heart to you today. I give my heart that you can speak. Amen. Would you do that with me today? Just put your hand in your heart. Father, we've sung about your presence, about your spirit today. And Father, we need you to walk into this room. I place my hand upon my heart because I know that, Lord, I can shoot out some words from my mouth, but nothing changes unless my heart is in tune with you. And for these precious people that gather today, Holy Spirit, would you walk down through these aisles? Lord, you know what's in here today. I really don't know. But Lord, you know that maybe the crushings of life, the disappointments, the hurts, the questionings, the pain, the doubts. But as our hands are placed in our hearts as a symbol, we bring our hearts today and say, Lord, I allow you to come in to do a work in my life. Not just for a service to feel good, but to change me, O oh God, that I might be an influence. So, Father, I pray that we will hear your word today. Your word will penetrate our hearts. You'll change something within us. So we bring our hearts today the best we know. Now, Lord, we want to hear your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. You with me on that? Amen. You may be seated. I want you to take your Bible this morning. Would you please and turn with me? You're the wrong one. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. I want to speak on a subject this morning that was kind of birthed in my heart because I was going through a time as I was ministering throughout. Right now, I'm traveling throughout the world. I cannot hardly believe the doors that God has opened for me. And I recognized as I was in churches, there was something that was missing. And the cry within my heart, Lord, it doesn't matter if we have good sermons, good preachers, good singing, whatever. We're walking up many times the same way we come in. And I recognize that the gospel was not given to us just to have a good time and ease our conscience. It was given to us, as I said earlier, to make a difference. And a cry within my heart began to search into the church. What is the problem? What is the problem? And I believe that God showed me something as I listened to people. I preach a lot of times at pastor's conferences and Many times pastors say to me, well, how do you know what to preach? I said, it's very simple. Just identify with the people, and as they begin to talk, you know, will know where they are. And out of that, you can recognize there's something you need to preach that can transform and change lives. And so as I began to listen, I started to hear something that I recognized was in our Pentecostal churches as much as anywhere else and that God wants to deal with. And that's what I want to talk about. I shared a few of these things. I was at 
the men's retreat just back last year a little bit, and I shared some of this with some of you there, but it's something that burns in my heart. It comes from deep down in my spirit that I want to talk to this house. I've heard a little bit about this house where God's awakening, wanting to do something. God, as I said earlier, does not want to give you enough just to survive. He wants to give you enough to make a difference. The power of the Holy Spirit was not given to us just to make it through another day. It was given to us that we might be overcomers and conquerors, that we could live a triumphant life and go into a broken, twisted, distorted world with a purpose and the power of God to make a difference. So I want to read a few scriptures to you fast. I got a few I'm going to read. Sometimes people say, why do you have to read so many? Well, the reason I get into the Word of God and use some scriptures a lot is for this reason. If I preach a lousy sermon, you still got the Word. Right? Well, I'm asking God that I won't preach a lousy sermon this morning, but I'll get down in your heart. He, um, Proverbs chapter 18. I'm going to move kind of quickly here, and we'll pull it all together. The man of wisdom is talking here, and he starts in verse 1 by saying this. I'm only going to read this verse, and we're going to go to a few others. He says this in verse 1. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he rages against all wisdom. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he rages against wise wisdom. Then we find just back a few pages in Proverbs chapter 13, the man of wisdom speaks again, and he shares this in verse 12. You've probably heard this many times as it's been quoted probably many times in church services, but he said this, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes, it's like a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart become sick. There's no way out. But when desire comes, it is like a tree of life. We find here that a word of revelation, exhortation was given to the people that they might hear. God ordained it be in the word of God that on this Sunday in 2016, in the month of June, that we could hear it today. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes, when desire comes, it's like a tree of life. Psalm 20, as the psalmist writes now, he says this in verse 4, talking about the Lord. He said, may he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill your purpose. One of the things I have found is I've been working with people now, I've been pastoring for 46 years, I found very interesting that people say, well, God doesn't do this for me, and God doesn't give me this miracle, and God didn't turn this around and whatever. Could it be that your desire was not in the right place, and because your desire was not there, God could not do it, because he said, according to your desire, I will fulfill the purpose within your spirit. All the enemy has to do is erode or diminish our desire to walk in the ways of God. Let me go to one in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 15. We find here that a lady comes to Jesus. She's desperate because of a daughter that is full of demons. And Jesus, when she talks to him, does not even answer her. He ignores her. Now, we did, the pastor did that. I've had people I've walked by in church many times. I was trying to get some of the back of the church, and I walked by them. Three months later, I found out the person comes and says, Pastor Ted, how come you don't like me? I said, what are you talking about? Well, three months ago, you walked right by me and didn't say hello. I didn't even see you. I was trying to get another person. What am I trying to say? What we find here, this woman, Jesus ignored her. The disciples said, tell her to get lost. 
Now, I'm not preaching that, but finally, she would not recant. She would not back off, though she was, she was ridiculed. She was pushed back. Yet there was something in her as she pressed through when Jesus said, I've never seen such faith, but because of your desire, you've received your miracle. Your desire. I hear so much today where people say, well, God, you know where I am. You just come and do it. No, 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 no. God needs someone to harmonize with what he wants to do. He wants something to harmonize inside of us where there's a desire to see God do something great in the midst of us. The theme for this week, I think the major theme was about the presence of God, which I believe that God is trying to bring back because many times our churches, even our Pentecostal churches, I can say a lot of things about Pentecost because I grew up in it. I did not know it was to stay home from church. My mom and dad would take us to church. It was prayer meeting, whatever it was. I lived my life in church. My mom would put my brother on one side of her, me on the other. We were little kids. She, before the sermon started, she put her hand on her head and said, in the name of Jesus, sleep. I did not have a coloring book. I could not do any of that. And I tell you, we slept through. We never missed a service, not once. My dad had meetings once in Medicine Hat, Alberta. He brought a guy in it went nine weeks straight every night. If that happened today, most of us would be in a loony bin. We'd say, I can't handle it. Our tongues would be hanging out. We'd say, I'm dying, I'm dying. I can't do this anymore. But when the Spirit of the Lord comes, it's amazing what can be awakened in our spirits. I grew up that way. So I feel like I can say some things that God wants to renew within our spirits. Because as I said earlier, the answer is not with our politicians. It's not with the philosophers. It's not with anything the world can give. The answer and the solution is in the church and the power of the name Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit that we rise up. And God's saying to the Pentecostals right now, I've given you my spirit, rise up and believe that you can make a difference. Let it get a hold of us in deep down inside. I was taught the very presence of the Spirit of God. Through the years as I dealt with people, I found that many times when they were in a battle and a struggle, whatever it might be, that I might say something very practical to them to try and pull them out, out of it. I might say, let's go to your favorite place. And they kind of look at me and say, I don't feel like it. Or it might be somebody else that's failed an exam, and I say, well, let's go and study again, because they said you have another chance to, to write it. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Well, let's go and watch the hockey game. You always enjoy that. I don't have any desire for that anymore. The common denominator, if I went on with many of those illustrations, is the fact no matter what word we use, somewhere they lost desire lost desire. Now listen to me. Here's where it's going to get close to. You ready for it? The primary problem that many of us have, and we don't like to admit it, myself included, is that when God starts to put his hand on where's your desire, we become very religious. We Pentecostals don't think we're religious. Oh yes, we are. We're religious as everybody else. We just do it a different way. Oh boy, now I'm really making friends with you, aren't I? I'm trying to help you because I came through this rut myself. We get religious. You see, there are many times I've asked people 
as I pastored, because I saw something drifting the lives, I go to them and say, listen, I'm concerned about you. I see that the zeal's not there, the, 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 the excitement's not there. Your hands aren't raised like they once were, and you don't clap, and you're not bringing your Bible anymore. And they look at me and say, Pastor Ted, you've got to be kidding. How can you say that to me? I'll say, well, I do see that. Well, Pastor Ted, listen, I'm in church every Sunday morning. I pay my tithe. I stand when you tell us to stand. I'm with the men's department in the church, and I'm the vice president. I usher every time it's my time to usher. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. I asked them a spiritual question, but what they gave me was a religious answer. I didn't ask them what are they doing for God. I was asking where are they in their relationship with God. Are you hearing me? And even to this day, everywhere I go and try and challenge a man or a, or a woman in their walk with God, all the time I get a religious answer that comes back to me. And we feel justified in what we're doing instead of what we're called to be. God has called us to be followers of Jesus Christ and to make a difference. Jesus recognized the significance of desire. If I was to theme what I'm talking about this morning, here's my title. Where's your desire? Where's your desire? Or maybe another way is what's happened to your desire? Because what I find and was frustrating to me, and I'm finding many pastors talk to me about this, is that they're, they're, they're saying the right things to their congregation. For example, we're saying, we got to get out and reach the lost. How many believe that? Come on. We need to gather together on Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever night it is, and pray. The Bible did not say, my house shall be called a house of preaching. He didn't say it be called a house of worship. He didn't say it be called a house of getting goosebumps. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And the thing that we do the least in the house is pray. Man, I'm really making friends now. If you want to throw stones, wait till I get home. If you can throw the stone all the way to Halifax and hit me, I'll take the hit. But I'm honestly trying to help you because there's a generation watching and trying to find out what's really going on in the church. God trying to awaken something in our hearts. The reason I could go on to a whole lot of things, why are, why are people don't raise their hands in worship? Why do most people now kind of watch worship being done by the worship team instead of getting into it? They are not here to perform for us. They're here to be the door that lead us into the Holy of Holies where my hands get up and I cannot help but lift my voice and magnify the name of God. It's the greatest thing God gave us. In praise, something happens. The Bible says back in Psalm that he dwells in the praises of his people. I'm telling you, if you want to get a hold of God, begin to lift your voice. Begin to magnify Him, and you'll see He'll begin to do something. But praise has diminished a lot of our houses. Oh, there's a few that keep it going. But I wonder what happened if there was a thunderous praise rose up that pushed back powers and principalities, and the very presence of God began to walk down these aisles and through these seats. I tell you, we'd walk out of here different than the way we came. Because God cannot help Himself but enter where there's true praise. That's a good place to say amen. Amen? Amen. There's another thing while I'm on I'd like to talk about. Is that okay? I'm not here to try and preach a three-point sermon. If you're looking for that, forget it. I'm here to challenge your heart. See, when I grew up as a boy, you might think it's not a big deal. I'm not trying to bring back old things, but there's some things that are good. When my dad, I'm a preacher's kid, when my dad would preach or had special speakers in, 
I'm telling you, I didn't understand as a kid, but in the congregation throughout, there were men and women shouting out, Amen. That's it. That's Amen. Amen. We very seldom hear a lot of amens in church anymore. Oh, brother. What's happened to us? What's diminished the amen? Amen is not just a religious word. It's putting your agreement to what's coming forth from the platform, from the worship team, or from the pastor, or from a speaker. There's something inside. I agree with that. There's something down inside. Yes, I, I got to get a hold of that. But what's happened to us? We lost our amen. We let the enemy rob us and steal it from us. And yet there's something that stirs amen when something comes on the inside. And God wants to restore that. I don't need amens to preach, but I tell you, it sure makes it a lot easier when you have the amens coming because you recognize, boy, you're not in there alone. Somebody else is there helping to pull it through. But our amens have been lost. There's a whole lot of things that God wants to reignite, and I said all that to say this, that everything pastors are speaking to the church, that most of it is true. We need to evangelize. We need to get out in the city. We need to come to prayer. We need to be generous in missions. There's a whole lot of things. I could just go on and on, but why are they not being accomplished the way they should? You listening now? The main reasons we're asking to do what's right, but we have lost our. We've lost our. No, no, we lost it too. But we've lost our desire. We've lost our desire. We could shoot a shotgun through a permitting of most of our churches and hit nobody because we've lost our desire. When there's a desire, you will make room to get where your desire is. You'll make room. And everything we're saying, but it's frustrating leaders and churches and making people say, what's the use even going? It's the same old thing. It's because when desire is diminished, something changes within our lives. And God wants to reignite desire. I told you I grew up in Western Canada. I put myself through college. I worked on an asphalt crew during the day. On the back of a spreader. It's about 95 degrees, the temperature in that asphalt's coming out almost 300 degrees. I tell you, it can knock the energy out of you pretty quick, and we worked 12-hour days. I did it because I made some extra money that I could make myself through the college, not have debt. And uh, I would come home after 12 hours just dragging myself into the house. I my mom and dad had left. I was boarding in a place. I'd drag myself. All I wanted to do was eat, have a shower, and just go to bed. I was exhausted because I had to start 6 o'clock the next morning, play it out. But there was a young lady across the city that I was starting to fall in love with. And though my body was so down with weariness and tiredness that I just wanted to lay out in bed and stay there, I'd take that shower, dress up, and put on some aftershave, get in my car and drive all the way across the city for no other reason but desire. I went, she became my wife. We've been married 46 years. When we were just kids then, I started dating her at 14, and I married her at 19, and we've had a wonderful marriage, but there was desire, and I'd just go, and no, 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 let, let me finish. I, thank you, thank you. Well, we're, we, I, I go, all we do is just sit together and do nothing. Just sit. We go out in the veranda and just sit. You see, it didn't matter if we did something because there was desire. I just wanted to be with her. I'd phone her up on the phone. We, we, we just, it didn't matter if she talked, just as long as I could hear her breathing. I mean, that's good enough for me. Why? Because of desire. 
When there's desire there, it does not matter. If they sing the right song or the pastor preaches the same right thing, it's because of desire. You, I just want to be in God's presence. I can't wait to get church. Hurry up, honey. we got to get there in time. Why? Because when you have desire, everything changes. You don't come to church and say to the worship team, stir me up, I've had a miserable week. You come and say, man, I'm ready. Christian, when you get ready, my arms are getting ready to get up. There's something down inside of me that I can't hold on. i got to let it out. Why? Because this God I serve is alive and well in my spirit. And you probably give a worship team a heart attack. If you come in, I'm ready. I'm going to lift my voice. I might not sing good, but I'm going to sing anyway. Come on now. Some of you were created crows, but God's still the creator. I cannot sing like a canary, but I can cry, crawl like a crow. But I give it to God. You might not like it, but he does. Because I don't need a worship team to stir something up. He's done something so great inside of me that I tell you, it just comes alive within me, and my hands want to go up and worship him. Why? Because of desire. And the enemy knows he does not have to empty the church. He does not have to stop worship or stop preaching. All he has to do is remove desire from us, and we become watchers instead of participants. We were not called to come to church to watch someone perform. We were called to come to be energized and revived as we open our spirits to what God wants to do. Amen? Amen? You see, how this all came about is I had people that I started to listen to about what was going on in church. And here's one of the number one statements that impacted my life, why I'm preaching the way I am today, is I had men primarily, some women, mostly men, Say, Pastor Ted, I walk out of church Sunday morning and I say silently within myself, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than singing three fast songs, two slow songs, taking an offering, having an announcement, having a sermon, and quote, there's got to be more. And I'm here to tell you, my friend, no matter what, there is more. That God wants to literally invade this house and bring it. This church has got a name, Glad Tidings. I tell you, don't just have a name that you're glad. Be glad. Let gladness get down in your heart. Let it get a hold of your spirit. Let it bring something inside of you that when you walk around, you're contagious with the presence of God. And when you're contagious with something, you can bring change in the lives of other people. Contagious. I think I told this at camp. I don't know why I'm telling it right now, but I think I need to tell it. I was, I was down in, in Cincinnati. My wife was with me. We went shopping this day. We're in a big shopping mall. And as we we're walking through the shopping mall, I heard these three ladies walk by. And one in the middle, she was kind of there, on the, other, the two on the other side. And they were saying to her, you can't quit. You can't quit. You just can't quit. Well, when you got a preacher hearing those kind of words, I kind of got alongside. I was pretending I was looking at clothes. And I got real close that I could hear this conversation. I just wanted to hear what they were saying. You can't quit. You just can't quit. And I recognized right away that it was a kind of a spiritual conversation. Well, that made me dig in a little bit deeper. I was going through clothes. I wasn't interested in pretending. I was, and I was just moving along with him, looking at stuff, because I wanted to hear this conversation. 
while I was being nosy, God spoke and said, go over there and give her a word. Huge department store, Cincinnati, Ohio. Go over and give her a word. I walked over there boldness. I said, ma'am, I don't know you. You don't know me. I'm going to be honest with you. I've been listening to your conversation. God spoke to me. Come over and give me a word. I took her by the hand and I said, thus saith the Lord. For the Lord's going to bring you out of this thing that you thought you would never come out of. The Lord is saying to you that I brought you and timed it right that there would be a man in this house that would give you a word that you're not going to be paralyzed by this, neither is it over, or going to overcome you, but you're going to rise up in the power of God's going to come you again. It's going to break the fears and the doubts, and you're going to rise up. And as soon as I did that, I put my hand, Pastor Paul, just touched her forehead, just, just a little touch. I just went like this, and bang, she went under the power right in the middle aisle of that big store. I'm thinking I'm in another country. I knocked a woman down, I'm in jail. My wife walked in the back of that big store, saw what was going on. She used to meet me, she turned and went the other direction. She didn't want anything to do with me because I tell you, my friend, when you're contagious with something, it doesn't matter if it's in Kmart, it doesn't matter if it's Walmart, it doesn't matter if it's Canadian Tire. When you're contagious with something, something comes alive within your heart to believe that you can make a difference. God's trying to awaken the church that we'll believe again that if desire gets a hold of us, it can change something within us because desire makes the difference. It makes the difference. When Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to tarry in Jerusalem to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. It was not just to speak in tongues. Listen to me carefully. Tongues is the evidence. What he wanted us to be filled with was the power of God that we will not be intimidated, we will not fall back, that we will not recant, that we will not give in, that we will not allow anything to hinder. He gave us the power. The most two powerful verses in the Bible to me is John chapter 19, verse 30, where Jesus hanging on the cross said, it's finished. I'm trying to tell someone today, you might be going through hell and say, what can I do? He finished it. He died on the cross. It is finished. Sin is forgiven. Healing can come. Restoration, deliverance. Why? Because when he said those words, he prophesied in the world, it is finished. He paid the complete price. Now, the next part in verse is found in Luke. Or pardon me, John chapter 7, verse 14. Jesus said to his disciples, I got to go. Because if I do not go, the comforter cannot come. Better translation is the helper. Every one of us in this room today, no matter what you might think you have in your life, Everybody somewhere needs a helper. The Holy Spirit came to be the helper. To be the helper. That something will rise in our lives that we could make a difference. And so he says, I'm not sending you to Jerusalem that you can learn some new ideas how to have a good church. I'm not sending you there that you can find a new program, a new idea, something that no one's ever had before. He said, I'm sending you there that you will tarry until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Because what Jesus knew, they all knew what the assignment was, but because friction and division and persecution and agitation, everything came. 
They had lost their desire. They ran and hid. They knew they were going to the whole world and preach the gospel. They knew what they were to do in the world. They knew that they were to declare his kingdom has come. But when things begin to hit them, suddenly we find them all running and hiding. What he declared, you don't need another lecture, guys. You don't need just a new idea. I want you to go and tarry there until you receive the fullness of the Spirit that will walk into you and you'll never be the same again. i got to go on. I wish I could picture this right now, but listen to me. From that moment on, we never see any of them backing away. Even in persecution, they would not recant because something got a hold of them because their desire was reignited. I've come here believing these few days that God wants to reignite desire within each and every one of us because when desire rises up in us, something changes. Something gets a hold of us that we get a hold of it. But the hardest thing I'm battling with is we don't want to admit we've lost our desire. And yet God's trying to get a hold of our hearts that we can change everything if our desire is revived and renewed. That's why I read those scriptures to you today. When hope is deferred, but when desire comes, it's like a tree of life. When desire comes, things begin to change. When desire comes, it's not we're standing too long. When desire comes, oh, why are we so long in church? When desire is there, it doesn't matter because desire changes everything. It helps the man that I talked about that said to me that instigated this whole sermon I'm preaching this morning. I go out to church, and I say to myself, there's got to be more than this. And my friend, I've been in these all these years, and there's times as a pastor, I walked out of church, and I've said the same thing. There's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. It's desire. When I pastored, many times young men, as I was shaking their hand, maybe at the end of a service on a Sunday morning, I said, how you doing, buddy? He said, oh, I'm doing okay. And he said, what's going on in the future? He said, well, Pastor Ted, I'd really like to find a young lady and settle down and get married and start a family. He said, I haven't found anybody yet. And uh, I looked at him with a smile and said, see that young lady at the back of the church standing there talking? She's awesome. I mean, she loves God with all her heart. I mean, she, and she's a looker. She's got a personality. I heard she's a great cook. Man, take her out for a date. Find out. He looks back at me, listen, listen, listen. He looks back and he says, Pastor Ted, you're probably right. But you know what? I have no desire to go out with her. Why did I say that? Because many times the right things are being placed in our lives, but because there's no desire, we push it away. Let somebody else do it. And yet God's calling his whole church to the place that would allow desire to flow within each and every one of us. Let me go through this real quick. Can you give me a few more minutes? We doing okay? Okay. I'm going to preach over on this side. I don't feel any love over there. I'm going to go <laughs> over on this side over here. I'll give you guys, get your desire, and I'll come back, okay? I hope there's some desire over here, okay? There's two things that take desire, and I want to do this real quick. There are probably many more, but these are the two that the Lord played upon my heart. We find in chapter 13 to 16 in the book of Judges, we all know the story. When I tell it's the story of Samson. Samson was born to pull down the strongholds of the enemy, which are the Philistines who were absolutely devouring and devastating the people of God. 
We all probably learned the story in Sunday school, but there's more to the story. The problem is many times we know the story, but we do not know the principle that's in the story. Because a story changes nothing. It's the principle that gets in you from the story that brings the change. And we find there that we're given this because God wants us to see something. He had a desire in him that he would destroy the Philistines against the people he knew what his mandate was in life to do. He knew it. But he started to look into the Philistines, which I'm going to say represents the world. Didn't want God, do their own thing, do whatever your flesh desires to do. He started to look into the, into, the, into the world. And then he looked into the world. He saw something in the world that was of the world that he wanted. It was a woman. Now, ladies, don't get mad at me. I'm not trying. I'm using an illustration here. You're not the world, but I'm trying to use it as an illustration. He looked at the world. I want that's in the world. He played with it for a while where he kind of did what he was supposed to do as God led him, but he always wanted to go back to this. And eventually, what happened, his desire shifted from what was the call in his life to he wanted to be with this woman all the time. All the time. Pastor Ted, what are you trying to say? Here's what I'm trying to say. We need to rise up because, friend, our big battle is not the world on the outside. Our big battle is the world getting in the church. You hear what I said? The world wants to come in. Jesus warned about it. He wanted to do the will of God. I'm talking about Samson again. But his desire shifted. I want that more than I want this. See, people say, well, you're just old-time and legalistic. Well, they can say it all they want. How can you go to a movie on a Saturday night and hear God's name taken in vain in 55 times and come into church Sunday morning, raise your hands, and say you're the most wonderful, mighty person in my life? I cannot trash my wife all week long and think she should get into bed with me on Saturday night. You need to recognize, friend, the world's creeping in. And we need to understand, boy, this became a revelation to me. When God said to Adam and Eve, he said, you can't eat of that tree. But it says this, then the woman looked and said it was good. The battle was not between bad and good. The battle was between good and God. You can do a lot of good things, but it's a part of the world. And it paralyzes the church. It takes the thrust out of what God wants to do in us to make a difference within our world, in our cities, in the nations of the world. We all know the story. Because I don't want to labor here long because I want to get to the one that really is concerning me. But Samson lost it because he became attracted to the world. And the world started to penetrate his life. They became more important. Are we doing okay? I feel a little bit more love over here, so I'll come over here. How come we can't come to church when there's two inches of snow on the ground? But we'll make our way to a hockey game when there's five feet that fell out of the sky. Somewhere, the things of the world penetrate our hearts that we lose the significance of our desire where it should be. And God's trying to stir something in your heart, but here's the one that bothers me the most. It's found in Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon was primarily written for three things. There's been many books written about it. Number one, it was a love relationship between God and Israel. It's a love relationship between God and the church and a love relationship between a husband and wife. There's a lot in there for all, and that is true. But let me get up because here's the one I'm concerned about. This is the one that got into my heart about this whole thing of desire. 
Just give me a few minutes because i got to unfold this to you because, friend, this is what makes a difference if you let God get it into your heart that something will respond, that you'll say, God, renew that desire. But we find, as we start out, that the king who had everything fell in love with a peasant, shepherdess, young lady. She had nothing. But there's something that attracted to him to her, and he wanted her. He, she became everything to him. You read the first four chapters, she became everything. Her eyes were sent. Whatever he wanted to do, oh, I, I never thought this would happen to me. He wants me. Everything was focused on him. But to him, everything was focused on her. Everything. Nothing could detour him. Nothing could distract him. I want her. I want her. You read through, she said, I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed with him. I, I, can't, I really can't live without him. If you can read it, you'll read through it and you'll find it just over and over. He's the most important thing in my life. I need him. Then we come to chapter 5 and everything changes. It says she's asleep, but her heart's awake. Listen, church. Sometimes when God can't get your attention, he'll get your attention when you're away from on the onslaught of being awake. He'll start to speak to you in a dream. And that's exactly what happened here because God doesn't let us go lightly. So I can't get her attention today. She's so, she's so doing this and going this direction, whatever. But at night when she's asleep, I'll awaken her heart and I'll talk to her what's going on in her life. God's done that to me a few times. I had a dream about myself. But God awakened something in my heart. And here's what she dreamed. She was in bed sleeping, and her lover comes and puts his hand on the door. He knocks. He knocks. And he begins to speak to her. Boy, I wish I could build him this. And he says three things to her. He shows the three relationships that he had with her. He said, you're my sister, you're my love, and you're my dove. Sister talked about, you're not only what I call a girlfriend or whatever, you become so close, you're like family to me. Number two, you're, you're not only you're my sister, you're my love, that you're my, you're my wonderful friend that I want to share my life with. And the word dove is that word that a husband and wife can use between one another, even in public, and there'll be a wink in the eye from one another, and nobody has a clue what they're saying because the relationship is so strong. You're my sister, you're my love, and you're my dove. He puts his hand to the door, and then he begins to knock. He says to her, open up to me, my love. I want to come and be with you. Watch it, watch this. Here's what she says. She answers him, who is the most important person in her life. She answers him, I've taken off my cloak, and I can't get out of bed to put it on again. Secondly, I've taken off my shoes, and I've washed my feet. And I'll have to go wash them again if I come 10 feet to a door and open it. What changed? Somewhere she lost her desire. Hear me, church. Hear me. I can't even put my coat on. She said, Rachel said, well, what's so hard about that? Just put it on the opposite. You took it off. I can't put on my coat. Taken off my shoes, I can't come to the door. He puts his hand to the latch to open it because he still wants her. He speaks of Jesus, she speaks of the church. He puts his hand on the latch 
and start to open it because I want you. You're the apple of my eye. But he realized it was locked from the inside. He couldn't get in. I can't put my coat on. I've taken my shoes off. It'll be work to wash my feet again. I'm done. Finally, she comes to her senses. Oh, my. He's the most important person in my life. What have I done? How did I get distracted? How did I let other things get in? How come I'm not running to the door and opening it? And she comes to her senses and she jumps out of bed. Doesn't matter if her feet get dirty now. Probably goes in probably her pajamas. I don't know. And she opens the door and she was stunned and amazed because the Bible says, and he was wish I could build this, but time does not let me. She ran on the streets. She was hindered and hurt by the men on the streets as she ran. Please tell me who he is. He was the most important person in my life, but somehow I lost my focus. Please tell me who he is. i got to find him. If you find him, tell him I'm looking for him. If you see him, tell him I'm desperate for him. If, 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 if you just see where he is in a certain area, please come and tell me. I've got to find him. I've got to find him. Something began to ignite in her heart. She recognized that the greatest thing was her desire for him. Now the big question comes, how come she lost her desire? Well, you've got to go back to chapter 2. Because in chapter 2, it's a verse that we quote all the time in the house of God. It said, he brought me to his banqueting table. She became more in love with the stuff he could give her than she was with him. With him. God's blessed us in Canada. I had a pastor the other day just say this to me. We're in Europe together. He said, Pastor Ted, I'm afraid that the more materialistic we get in our nations, the more we kind of push God to the side. She got wrapped up in the banqueting table. She lost sight of him. I'm asking you tonight, friend, is the desire for God the same as you? So when you first got saved, is a desire burning down inside that you'll say, God, I need that desire renewed? Because, see, it's so important that we recognize that God wants to do something down inside of us to awaken it. Because we can say, let's take the city. Let's be people of prayer. Let's believe that things are not going to go down the hill anymore in our country. It'll never happen until desires turn. Because when desires are hell or high water, it cannot stop us. We'll be here. We'll make arrangements that we can fulfill the, man the mandate that God has given us. Why? Because when desire gets a hold of you, nothing can change it. Nothing can move you away. Because when desires are just like with this lady that I married. I had to be with her when everything didn't make sense. I wanted to be with her. But why? Because I had a desire just to sit with her. God trying to wake the desire. Because if we have a desire to come and get our fill, we won't have to be sitting pleaded with and begged at and pastor us to get down. Please, would you come? Oh, please, would you come? There'll be something in you. I'll be here, pastor. I need something. We're going to believe that our church is going to turn around. You're going to do something great and mighty in the midst of us. When we built our church in Sackville, we built the first one, and God did so many wonderful things. I haven't got time to tell you the story. We built another one, 1,300 seats. We built it when interest rates were 22.5%. Remember those days? Our payments were $11,500 a month. 100 went to principal. The rest was all interest. We never missed a payment. We saw God do something supernatural. I watched women take diamond rings off their fingers that I never asked for. 
to them on the offering place. I watched people sell their cottages, sell their motorcycles, sell their second cars that I never asked for because there was something I desire to see this church build. We desire, they're just all young couples. We desire to see something happen. And because desire is there, they said, we'll make a way no matter what. We're going to see this happen. I'm telling you, friend, when there's desire in the house, then we come together. We can't wait to see what God's going to do. Something will change. And God, his power hasn't diminished. He's waiting for desire to be furbished and revived in our hearts. Then we stand up and say, Magdan, you shall be saved and you shall not die. Why? Because something rises deep down in our spirits. At the opening of that building, I invited Morris Sorreller to come and speak. He got up and the place was packed. He got up and he stood behind the pulpit and he said, I have not come to preach a sermon. That almost deflated everybody. He said, I haven't come to pray for the sick either. I've come to pray a prayer. I've come to pray a prayer, and I'm sitting there thinking, we brought this guy in, spent all this money, and all he's going to do is pray a prayer. He got up behind the mic. He grabbed the sides of the pulpit. He began to pray. He said, Father, I come for one thing. I flew in here for a prayer. And my prayer is, God, that this church will never become religious. I bind that spirit. I take authority over it. I refuse to let it even start to rise that this church will be a church where your power will be exalted your life will be put set forth your anointing shall be in it that your people will be alive i take authority over the spirit of religion and in jesus name amen he sat down brought a guy all the way from california he prays a prayer i was young then God started to stir my heart about what I'm talking about right now. God took me back to that moment. I said, God, how do we become religious? God said, I'll tell you how to become religious. We do the very same thing, but we do it without desire. I can raise my hands and be in the football game. Come on. I can dance in church. The pastor, oh, man, look, he's, he's so excited. I go, no, no, no. I'm thinking about who's going to win the basketball game. Doing the very same thing. I'm about to close. Listen carefully. Jesus came to the church at Ephesus because he saw something was happening after just 40 years. He said to the church at Ephesus, he said, you're doing great. He said, you hate evil doers. You, you get rid of false prophets. You're, you're involved in missions. Nevertheless, when you see the word nevertheless, that's a bridge word that what I said is important, but what I'm about to say is more important than what I said. If you're going to listen to one thing, he said, don't really listen to what I said, though I'm setting it up. What I said over here is good, but nevertheless, what I'm about to say. What was he about to say? You have what? Lost your first love. You know that verse? That's not what he said. Every 95% of people asked to quote that, quote it wrong. They didn't lose their first love. They left it. Just the other day, I put my cell phone, I was out counseling a guy at, at, a, at a restaurant. I put my phone there, I said, if I put it right in front of me, I'll know it's there. I got up and walked out and left it there. I didn't lose it. I left it. He said, church, you haven't lost your first love. You left it. Why do we leave it? Because something else becomes more important in our lives. And God's going to awaken because everything that we're called to do is going to start when we come back and let God do something in our lives. I close with this. Because I'm trying to speak to this church because God's trying to raise, raise this church. I come with a prophetic word right now. This city is known as the hub, kind of the maritime. Everything comes out of here. God does not want to be a hump, 
a hub that we just get our toilet paper out of it. We get our oil to put in our cars. This is a hub where God, I believe, wants to raise this city up to be a hub where the anointing and the power of God can flow through and do great and mighty things, but who's going to believe it? I believe I'm in a congregation that's going to say, I'm going to shake off the things. I believe that God's put us here not to be a church to serenade ourselves, but we're here in the hub. We're here in the hub that God can begin to do something that's going to spread like a disease, but it's going to be anointing. It's going to be power. It's going to spread into St. John's. It's going to spread to Frederick. It's going to spread to Amateurs. It's going to spread to Halifax. It's going to spread. God put you in a hub. Why? Because he believes that he can trust you that you'll do something great. You'll do something powerful as you begin to rise up and say, God, would you create the desire in my heart again? I close with this. Two years ago, a couple went out for a honeymoon. Or honeymoon. Had their honeymoon. 25 years, they went out for the 25th anniversary. They went to a beautiful restaurant, had a wonderful candlelight meal. It was wonderful. He got the car out that he first had when they got married. He kept it because it was an antique now. He said, let's take the car to the garage. We'll use it to go. And, and so they went and had the meal, whatever. They get in the car to come home, and she starts to cry. She starts to cry. She turns to her husband and says, David, what's happened to us? He said, what do you mean? She said, when we first dated, you were sitting behind the wheel. I was so close to you that you could hardly change the gears. My hand was running up the back of your hair that we just had to be tight, close together. She said, look at us now. I'm, you're, you're sitting where, where you always sit behind the wheel. And look, at I'm way over on this side. What's happened to us? What's happened to us? There was a hesitation. There was nothing said. And finally, he spoke and he said, baby, I've never moved. I've never moved. I believe God's looking down the church and said, we talked and said, Lord, where's those exciting times we had where we would sing a song in the car as we were driving down the highway. We weren't listening to what the, what the scores were. We were singing a song of how great thou art. There was something in our hearts. We meditated on a verse. Lord, where's those times, God? How come I don't have those times anymore? And God's saying back this morning, I've never moved. I've never moved. I've never moved. I wonder... How many times Jesus sits in our churches just like I'm sitting, and he's weeping? You see, I can't show you in the Bible where Jesus laughed, but I sure can show you where he wept. He was weeping. Weeping. Jesus, what are you weeping for? See, because in our culture, a man for his wife's birthday, our culture says you get some flowers and a card, you come in the house and you hand them to her and say, happy birthday, babe. She puts them in a vase. She says, thank you. She goes in the bathroom, locks the door, and sits on the edge of the bathtub and begins to cry. Why is she crying? Her husband did what our culture says a good husband do, but she's crying because she knows he doesn't love her like he once did. And her heart's yearning not for the roses. Her heart's yearning for him. Jesus sits in our churches on Sunday morning. And we're asking, Jesus, why are you weeping? I wonder if he sometimes says with a broken heart, not harshness, not, not with anger. He looks back and says, because you don't love me the one way you once did. You've lost your desire. Not in anger. Not in negativity. But you're the most important one I've got. Somehow the desire is diminished, and I, I'm sitting here, Jesus says this morning, I've got a broken heart. But Jesus, I brought my tithe today. I'm here, aren't I? I'll be here tonight, too. 
said, yeah, I know. You're doing all that stuff, but where has the desire gone? There's a groan in my spirit. I'm 68 years of age. I'm preaching with the same intensity I did when I was 23. And then many say to me, Pastor Ted, why do you keep going? You're able to retire. Yes, I am. But Pastor Paul is a groan down deep inside. And I want to see his church find the desire again. God, for your name's sake, awaken your church in Canada. Awaken your churches in the Maritimes. Don't let us settle for what is nice when we can have the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. I said to my wife many times, I'm done. I don't want to preach no more. Not that I want to walk away, but there's a groan down inside. The second reason why I can't give up, I got three little grandkids. What kind of church are they going to have in five years? Pizza parties and fun times, I'm not against that. But they'll never survive on a pizza. They need to know the power of the Holy Spirit. The church needs to come alive again with a desire. We will not be denied. We will not back off. We will not sit the way we are. And my cry, oh God, in glad tidings, would you awaken it again? That we will accelerate it. Not just a few keeping it going. That you'd awaken within her hearts. Because our only hope is a reignited desire because we love him. It changes everything. That's why I travel the world. That's why I'm in churches all the time, trying to stir them up that the best is yet to come. Try to tell them don't settle for mediocrity. Don't settle because of rest, uh, a survey just came out in the United States that we have bigger mega churches now than we've ever had in the history of North America. But at the same time, as we got bigger churches than we've ever had, there's less influence from the church to change the culture. We're not called to gather a crowd. We're called to make a difference. And I'm asking this church of the province of New Brunswick that we'll come and get your fuel. That whatever the enemies use to steal it, you're going to rise up and say, God, I'm getting my desire back. I'm going to let that desire, I might have to push it. I might have to do a little bit of my part, but God, I'm going after it. That you will awaken something within my heart. That God, you're going to do something great. And God brought us here this morning. Because, friend, lots of times we're trying to get what we want, but we don't deal with what hinders us from getting there. And God said, I want you to say, here's what I have all the time said to me, because this is the way preaching is gone. Okay, Pastor Ted, give me five points to get desire. That's why I'm sick and tired of five-point, ten-point sermons. You know why? Because if I gave you five points how to get desire, it takes desire to fulfill the five points. You hear me? Here's what God's looking for this morning. Where's my worship leader? I'm sorry I took too long, but friend, it burns in my spirit. Here's what God's looking for. 
He's just looking for men and women. It'll come to the point that we will admit it's either diminished or I've lost it. And God, I'm going to walk to this altar. Before I get to my car, I'm just going to stand and say, God, all I can do is ask you to increase it, to let it flow in me again. Because, friend, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, you've got to work out your own salvation. That goes on and says in verse 13, which is the most powerful verse I think that God's trying to put in my spirit right now. For it is God both willing to do of his good pleasure. In other words, God's got to give you the desire to fulfill what we're called to do. And what God said in this church this morning is, I believe I was prophetic. I didn't care about preaching a nice sermon. I came to touch your heart. And I'm asking as we come and we sing a song, I'm not going to plead or beg. Because you may be familiar all the time, but I'm asking, will you get out of your seat and say, God, I'm going for desire. I want you to restore it. I want you to renew it. You say, well, I got some desire. That's good. Get more. Right? Get more. So I'm asking this congregation as we set up for tonight and tomorrow to just give us a moment. Would you stand with me? Tristan, I want you to sing a song. As he sings, I'm asking you for God's sake. Come on right now. You're going to be willing from the balcony. I'm putting a challenge before you. Please don't stay, but say, God, I come. Revive it. Restore my, my desire. I've lost it, but I want to know. Listen to me, church. Listen to me. Listen, listen. My greatest fear, my fear, is not that I'll walk away from God. But I know all of us can do that outside of God's grace. I know that. I'm not saying that in arrogance. My greatest fear is not I'll walk away from God. Do you know what my biggest fear is? And I'll keep doing what I'm doing without desire. Because I can preach without God. But I can't change people. I can shoot my gums off and say words. But I can't change people. I'm asking for your family. For your church. I don't know if you do this. I don't know in this church. But I'm asking, would you get out of your seat and say, God, I make myself available for desire renewed in our spirit. Lord, give us courage. Let us see it's a life and death situation as we come this morning.